Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into a good Saturday morning to you as we start off another weekend. Hey, how was that cold front, man? How was that cold, Sten? You enjoy that? Yeah, it's actually like wintertime. Thanks, Global Warming. Appreciate that very much. Got that Arctic front that moved through here. Welcome into it. It is Kansas Talk. I am Andy Hoosier right here. Wichita's Big Talker. KQAM. 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial if you have that smart radio. Also, our friends out in Garden City, Kansas, joining us as well as they do every single weekend. So wonderful to have you along for the ride. 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. We are loaded with guests today. We are in the middle of our legislative session. We are week number two in the books and so much more to talk about and break down. So we'll get all that information for you and one heck of a lineup that we have throughout the program today, so you're not going to miss it. Bottom of this hour, we are going to play an interview with uh, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. We sat down with him earlier this week and looking forward to chatting with him. Hour number two, Alan Cobb, president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. As you know, that they presented a tax bill, a single-payer, uh, single-rate tax bill last year. Didn't work. We're working on it again this year because, well, Governor Kelly now says, after vetoing that she wants to do tax cuts. I find that kind of interesting. So we have him. Also, bottom of next hour, Claudia Hissong. She's with the Kansas Farm Bureau. As we talk about ag industry, the farm bill in Washington, D.C., the ending of the Waters U.S. bill, and so much more. So we'll get to all that and more. But I don't want to wait uh, waste any more time because we have a guest right out of the gate today as well. I told you, we're loaded up with awesomeness today. And as a great partner, she's uh, the, the organization, great partner with my weekday show with The Voice of Reason and with the national program for the weekend edition of The Voice of Reason as well. Great partners with me there. And we love having them on Talking Policy in Topeka with what's going on locally and statewide as well. She is the state director for Americans for Prosperity, which you can find online at americansforprosperity.org. Excited to have on here Elizabeth Patton. Elizabeth, good morning to you. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, it is great to chat with you. And boy, oh boy, we started off, like I said, with a bang this year. I, I never thought that you could stop an agenda, create it as your own agenda, and then try to get the people back on board to support it after you vetoed <laughs> that agenda prior to. I didn't know that that was a good working political tactic. <laughs> apparently, apparently it is. So, uh, yeah, Laura Kelly is the queen flip-flopper on tax policy, it seems. Man, uh, it's good that she's talking about it. It's good that we're working on this. The Kansans, uh, the Chamber of Commerce for the state of Kansas proposed their flat tax bill or single payer, single rate bill last year that we lost, unfortunately, by one vote. And now it seems like that could be the bill again this year. Do you think we could see it come through this year? I really hope so. Uh, the bill that was uh, that was in last year with the single rate, uh, it, it's such a good bill because not only does it make our tax code is more simple and it makes it sustainable. We've had so many ups and downs over the years with the Kansas tax code, um, and this would make it also sustainable for the long term. Uh, very affordable, but the best part is it gives Kansans a lot more money back in their pockets. So it, every single Kansan would benefit from it. And I, I really want to see that again, yeah. uh, maybe hopefully even this week. 
Oh, that would be nice. I love it. If we could get something done like that this this week would be really good. I don't think the other side of the aisle understands what a flat tax would look like. And not just the flat tax, but the single payer and then those making under $15,000 that doesn't have to actually pay anything because all the kickback that I hear from the other side angry about this is that the rich aren't paying their fair share and that it's not fair for someone making 15000 or $16,000 essentially, 15000 and a penny, or $200,000 and how they're paying the same amount. And when you explain it to them that they're paying the same rate, not the same dollar value, then it completely changes the discussion. And they either get angry or they just disappear because I don't think they understand this concept. No, and I don't think people do either or realize that with the concept that's moving through the legislature, um, the the lowest of the low-income folks in Kansas go to 0%. So it's technically a dual rate in the sense that um, those who are those who are upwards of, uh, I want to say even up to $30,000 joint, um, yeah, they're they're exempted from all taxes. So you pay nothing. And then you're right, everyone else goes to that single rate and it's still a tax cut for everybody. That's and good news. Anybody above that rate, it's a it's it's the same percentage, but yeah. Everyone gets a tax cut. Everybody so. gets a tax cut. That would be nice. Now, it sounds like, too, uh, we chatted with, uh, we're going to chat with Alan Cobb as well from the Chamber of Commerce. It sounds like there's other states around the region that are looking at doing this uh, single tax rate as well, which makes us pretty competitive in those states, doesn't it? it? It does. And actually, Colorado has it, and they just voted by over 63% this last cycle to lower theirs even further. So you're looking at a blue state right next door that's got a single rate flat tax at a lower rate than us. Uh, we see states like Iowa that have it. And I want to say uh, it is between 9 and 11 states um, who currently have that on the books, but most of them right around where we are. And it's it's continuing to trend in that direction. Um, and, and you see a state like North Carolina, who we compete with a lot uh, for companies like Spirit, who have um, workspaces in both states uh, where they not only have a single rate tax, but they also have a growth trigger. So as their economy naturally grows, it buys down the tax rate further, which is something I'd love to see Kansas do as well. But it's like if we're going to be competing um, not only with individuals and families, but also for businesses in our state and a strong economy, we want to have a simpler tax system that is lower. And look, I mean, I love Kansas, but we don't have beaches or Colorado mountains. So I really don't think we should be in the top 10 of highest tax states in the country. That doesn't work out well for us. Yeah. Yeah. They can look at the beautiful cornfields. I mean, they can look at those and that would be enticing to get them out. We have some incredible places here in Kansas, but uh, we need to be tax competitive um, that that can be one of our greatest assets here, and especially for families to stay here and succeed here. I mean, honestly, if we continue to have a high rate and higher electricity prices and all those things, we're going to keep losing people like we have. We're still in the top 10 for people moving out of the state, and that's not going to change if we don't change something here. That is very true. With so many people moving out, are we seeing any traction with people moving into the state with incentive and even going a little bit further? Are we seeing businesses moving into the state and investing? Because I know that we've done well. I know that they showed how how much great tax revenue that we've seen in third and fourth quarter here in the state and how well things are going. But are we as competitive as we could be in the state compared to our surrounding neighbors? No, we have good tax revenue because our tax rates are super high. So, 
yes, the governor, the government is receiving record revenue off of very high taxes and government COVID spending. Mm. Um, that isn't going to continue. So what we see in Kansas is we have over $3 billion just sitting there. That's on top of $1.6 billion that's in our rainy day fund. So we are, we are in a really good shape from that perspective. And that extra money, though, um, it needs to go back to Kansas. Laura Kelly has these plans where she just released her budget and wants to blow about $2 million of that on some one-time government spending to, I don't know, buy people's support, grow government. Um, and we think it should go back directly to the taxpayers. Um, and it's, it's, it's your money. It's our money. Um, and, and that will continue. If that happens in the long run, um, it, it still works out from a budget perspective. It, it's still very sustainable tax plan for the long-term fiscal health of our state. And if we want to grow and we want businesses to come here and we want individuals and families to stay here, um, we need to have lower taxes, fewer regulations, and we need to have better overall environment for our families. Yeah. And I, I just, we're not, we're, we're continually falling behind in all of those areas. And we, it doesn't have to be that way. We can afford to make it a lot better here. Do you think she's starting to finally move away from the whole, let's just give you a one-time stimulus check? Because it seems to me that with all this revenue that we have in this near $4 billion safety net that we have in the state now, that that's been her solution as well. We'll spend, like you said, we're going to present more one-time spending, grow the size of government to where in the long run that could hurt us with more obligations we have to pay for later. And we'll just give you a one-time stimulus paycheck, which is what she's advocated a few times now already. She has, which baffles me because why wouldn't you just allow people to have uh, just have more take home in there every day. I mean, we've got inflation. Uh, Kansans and people across the country on average are spending more than $60 a week more on groceries every week. And that grows and grows. And that's just groceries. That doesn't even count more expensive. Everything else is. And it's like, why would you not give people just that permanent tax reform for them to have an instant pay raise and allow that to go back into our economy because people know how to spend their money better than Laura Kelly knows how to spend our money. <laughs> 100% we can see that. Uh, and Kansas state government has grown over 50% in the last 12 years. And honestly, we don't have a lot to show for it. Um, and we did a, we did a review of the Kansas budget uh, last year and well over $800 million. If we cut it tomorrow, I don't think anybody would see a blip of change in the way state government operates. Wow. And when you look at those kind of things, it just makes sense to simplify our tax code, make it smart and sustainable, and just quit the ups and downs. Like in 2017, we got a $1.7 billion retroactive tax increase. And it's like, that wasn't necessary in the way that, anyway, in the way that it happened. And it's gone up and down like a roller coaster. And here we can have, we can give families and businesses certainty and we can have something that will put us on a path to success for the long term. Yeah. Amen to that. We're talking with Elizabeth Patton, State Director for Americans for Prosperity. As we look through the legislative session of 2024, let's shift gears just a little bit. I know that you guys have been out on the streets and working hard over really the last few months and over the last year with election season locally, but then also you've been uh, really getting the feel for individuals with Bidenomics. I got to be a part of your event and help out with the one you guys were here in Wichita a few months ago. 
giving out $60 gift cards for the grocery store at Barney's. Got to give a hat tip to those guys. And just showing people how expensive food is compared to before Joe Biden came into office. And people were unbelievably happy and excited about this. And everybody, even in places of towns where you wouldn't think they would be necessarily either political or leaning to the right, they definitely expressed their frustration with the way the economy is going right now. You guys have recently released a poll that shows the frustration of economic issues here across the state of Kansas with some shocking, not so shocking numbers. Talk about what you guys found out here. Absolutely. And you're exactly right. So even with 10 options for people to choose from on what is their most important issue, 25% of respondents of Kansans we polled said inflation was their top issue. And right underneath that was taxes, which, you know, honestly, for a lot of people, it's one and the same. And so you're looking at nearly half of Kansans are saying basically their pocketbook, the money that's leaving their budget um, each and every month is their top issue. And, and that, that matters. That means it's impacting everyday Kansans. Um, so it's like, you know, Laura Kelly signed herself a pay raise at the end of last year, right before she vetoed um, the pay raise for everybody else. And I think that was a huge misstep. And I hope she changes her mind this year and allows this tax reform to become law because this this matters. And what we also found were that about two thirds of Kansas voters, um, they want this single rate system. Wow. And even even a majority of voters who approve of Laura Kelly as governor even a majority of them want a single rate system. So we found a lot of compelling information um, to yeah. reflect that Laura Kelly needs to let this become law. Yeah, which would explain why she's starting to change her tone. But remember, she can't do it with Republicans doing it. She has to do it with her agenda, and we have to come on board with her even after she stopped it for so many years. So you just got to create a new platform there. But if that's the major issue, uh, it makes sense why going into an election season this year, why they're so desperate to try and win on the economy, which boggles my mind at the federal level. We have Joe Biden still trying to talk about how great Bidenomics actually is. They can't run on that platform because they may lie to us on the TV and in the media. But when we go and actually use our our paychecks and our wallet to go purchase items, it's blatantly in our face how expensive things are. No, I absolutely it is. Yeah, I, I think I've said this before, but I have friends who have had to, you know, take their daughters out of dance class because just with the cost of everything else going up, you have to make some cuts. And, you know, parents are having to make choices like that. They're having to cut their grocery budget. We met someone at Barney's. She hadn't been able to buy cat food for her cat because she can't afford it. Mm. And she was so excited to be able to just something as simple as that. You know, that to her was a huge deal. Everything is expensive. I saw a mom here in Topeka, Kansas, who was just bawling at the prices of formula and the fact that she couldn't find any. So to your point, no, Bidenomics is not a good thing. (laughs) And I think Laura Kelly and the Democrats see that um, because people feel it. Everyday Kansans feel it. Yeah, it's a devastation. Do you think, last question on this is, uh, do you think that last year we missed it by one vote in the veto override, not to name any Dennis Pyle names, but uh, right now (laughs) we're trying to figure out how to make sure that if she does veto the bill again this year that we have that number to override it. Are you optimistic that we can make that happen this year? You know, I I would like to be, I will say, I'm happy to name names, Dennis Pyle and also Rob Olson, who stood up with Governor Kelly the first day of session and stood with her on her tax policy. 
And and the the sad part is they voted in favor of this single rate tax reform three times. And yet now they are playing games and siding with Laura Kelly for reasons unbeknownst to me. Uh, And it's a shame. But I am hopeful that them and gosh, you know, who knows? Maybe even some Democrats who look at their district and think, you know, tax reform matters to people. I guess we'll find out. I would hope that they do the right thing. But at the end of the day, um, all we can do is fight. And if people want to help, we'd love for anybody who wants to get involved uh, they can go to fairsharekansas.com. They can see how much they would save. But then also at the bottom, you can click the link and contact your elected official and ask them to support the single rate system um, and this tax cut for all Kansans. Uh, that would be super helpful. I would encourage everybody to do that um, because it matters. It matters to the future of our state. It matters to Kansas families. Yeah. Amen. I love that. We got just a couple minutes left here, Elizabeth, as we start to wrap up. But I want to real real, yeah, real quickly just kind of tease the election season, obviously, coming up in 2024. It's going to be a good one. You guys were out all over the place in the last election for the off season. I say off season in air quotes, but the mayor's race here in Wichita, a great success and largely because yeah. of how hard you guys were campaigning in our local area around for that one. I know I know we're getting geared up for it, but you guys ready for the big election for this year in 2024 as well? We are. We're so excited. In Kansas, everybody is up. So the entire Senate and the entire House of Representatives in, in our state, in Topeka, they are up. Um, so we have a lot of work to be done. Um, we want to make sure we have the backs of our policy champions, but we also help folks succeed um, where we have maybe new policy champions or a couple open seats with some great candidates. And we are very excited um, to set up our state um, with some really strong races. I know that the other side, Governor Kelly's middle of the road pack has raised a lot of money, but it's almost entirely from Chicago uh, elitist politician J.B. Pritzker, who does not share Kansas values. So, you know, ironically, neither does Governor Kelly. Um, So it says middle of the road pack, but it's all funded by leftist uh, liberal elites from Chicago. So uh, we'd love everybody's help because they might be able to outspend us, but we will outwork them. Yeah. Well, in that middle of the road pact could be potentially dangerous because, you know, she's going to target uh, very swing districts where we have a majority right now with Republicans. And they're going to do it in the sense that, well, they're not radical right wing nut jobs like Donald Trump is. They're actually the middle of the road ones getting along with everyone when we know that's not going to be the case. And I, I'm sure that they're going right. to uh, sink a lot of attention in those races. They will. They will. And that's why it's all hands on deck. And we need uh a lot of volunteers and help even starting pretty quickly here um, to start educating Kansans about what is the truth and what's really going on in Topeka and the right messages. So we'd welcome anybody who wants to get involved to fight back against that um, Chicago machine who's trying to come to Kansas and, and make us look like Illinois, which is frankly not not what i want yeah nope we got a lot of work to do and you guys are rocking it it is the largest grassroots organization across the nation with the major chapter right here obviously in the state of kansas americansforprosperity.org and you can check them out right here for kansas at fairsharekansas.com fairsharekansas.com it's elizabeth Patton, state director for americans for prosperity i know it's another fun session and i always appreciate what you guys do keep up that fight up there and hold their feet to the fires those elected officials thank you for coming on elizabeth we love it to death we got to get you back on again soon sounds great thank you have a great day andy always a pleasure right back here on kansas talk on kqam
Welcome back into it. It is Kansas Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Good Saturday. Great to have you with us here. Thanks again to Elizabeth Patton, Americans for Prosperity. FairShareKansas.com is their website. I'm telling you, they are huge when it comes to election season. So if you want that information, if you want to know how to help out, whether it's making phone calls, whether it's walking doors, I know we're early on that yet. But just to put things into perspective for you, we have the presidential primary in Kansas set for the middle of March. We are two months away from the presidential primary in March. That's wild, kind of mind-blowing. So election season's kicking up here quick, hot, and heavy, and you want to be prepared for that one. But great information, especially with the state legislature. We'll break down more of the tax information and the single-rate tax plan and uh, how this all works with Alan Cobb coming up in hour number two as we chat with him from the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, plus how business is actually faring here in the state. Uh, I know that we're still recovering from the COVID-19 pandemic. We still have a ways to go to get things back on track fully. But are we doing well, and not just doing well here, because we saw the reports of how well revenue and tax receipts are in the state, which I guess is good news. But uh, the bigger question is, is how are we faring compared to our neighboring states? That's the big question. We'll do some more of that when we come back. Plus, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall. We sat down with him just a couple of days ago. We'll do that right around the corner. It's Candace Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. It's time to tell him he's wrong at 316-721-TALK. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Kansas Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Happy Saturday. Thanks for hanging out with us today. As always, so much to talk about going on here in the state of Kansas legislative session. We just had a great conversation the last half hour on the program. More coming up here soon as well. 316-721-8255 on the Maximum Outdoor Equipment Hotlines. I do want to shift gears a little bit though as I want to talk about some stuff going on at the federal level, which by the way Iowa caucuses this last week. Holy cow, man. What an election going on there. Now we have New Hampshire coming up on Monday. We have South Carolina thereafter. Ours here in the state of Kansas is March 19th. Now, if I remember correctly, and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty darn sure this is right, that if you want to register for that one, that you have to be registered to vote by the 21 days prior to. So I would say middle of February if you're not registered. Now, if you're already registered and you voted in the last election, you don't have to worry about registering again, but would highly recommend that you make sure that you are. If you've moved, if you've relocated, if you've done something or changed something, then make sure to get that changed. I am anticipating some higher than expected voter results or voter turnout here in Kansas, especially by March. It's not going to be a deep freeze. At least we don't think so. Thanks, global warming. But you never know. (laughs) You never really know what it could look like by that time. So if you are planning to vote, make sure to get out there March 19th and vote in that one. And again, a little bit different process this year. The last few years in Kansas, we did a caucus that was done by the party. The Republican Party, Democrat Party held their own caucus. They paid for it. They, They did their event. This is a little bit different. This is going to be easier for you to vote because now you get to go to your normal polling precincts and cast your ballot for this because this is a state-sanctioned primary, presidential preference primary, not a caucus. Now, that does not change the fact that we, again, do not vote based on popular vote, but we do vote, uh, and then we get, based on percentage-wise, really is most uh, how most states do it, is the candidates then get delegates. And in order to get the Republican primary... And to lock that in and become the nominee for the Republican Party, you have to have 1,215 delegates, not votes. It is not a popular vote thing. 
we need to get out of this mindset that the popular vote is what it's all about. And uh, like this national popular vote that the Democrats are trying to push at the federal level, that's not a good thing. We don't want to do that at all. So that being said, I do want to shift gears, though, and go up to the federal level and talk to Washington, D.C., what the heck's going on up there, because the Friday was the deadline yesterday for phase one of the continuing resolution as we continue to talk about uh, battling budgetary issues and more. We sat down just a few days ago with our very own senator here from the great state of Kansas, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall, as he sat down with us on The Voice of Reason during the week, and this is what he had to say. How are you, my friend? Andy, great to be with you. Now, before we get to the other stuff, I just got to stop you here. Now, Hawkeye, cockeye. So you're (laughs) saying that cockeye is the plural of caucus, and that's the most original thing I've heard all day, and I'm still laughing about it. And we just got to—I got to just stop and say Trump had a definitive victory last night. Man, he is the presumptive nominee. We as Republicans need to get behind President Trump. It's time to put our swords down and save our words and our money to take on Joe Biden here in the very near future. So let's rally together. Uh, he's the guy. Let's get behind him. Let's rally behind him. I'm right there with you. He he talked about that in his speech last night as well after the victory uh, because of how dominating it was. It is time for everybody to come together as a party. I don't know if we're going to see that as Nikki Haley says that she's looking out into New Hampshire and beyond. But, yeah, what a dominating victory that was last night for him. Yeah, it sure was. It was as dominating as the Chiefs' victory over the Dolphins <laughs> uh, the, on Saturday as, as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it is. I think it's the... Uh, the, the margin of victory, gosh, the biggest victory ever before was 12 points by Senator Dole. And here this was a, whatever it would have been, 30-point victory as well. Uh, there's, he is the presumptive nominee. Let's get on with business here. Uh, Joe Biden is destroying this country. He's given us an open border, record inflation. Uh, we're not safe anymore. Uh, our, our friends don't respect us, our, and our enemies certainly don't respect us. We need a change here in the White House. Amen to that. And let's talk about some of those big disasters, Senator. You've been working hard. You guys really hit the ground running as you guys came back after the New Year's and in starting off this new session. And immigration has been the forefront. We wanted some immigration policy going into the holidays. I know that there we weren't able to make it happen. Democrats wanted funding for Ukraine. We tried to tie it with some immigration. They didn't like that too much. But now we've seen a bill kind of sort of proposed. But we see this massive emergency, kind of a 911 situation at the southern border right now. What's going on? What, what can we do to fix this right now? Right. I, I think we are still trading water. I don't think the real negotiations have yet happened. I've said over and over again, unless we address the parole issue, there's really no deal. And I don't know about you, but I've yet to hear Joe Biden ever say he wants to secure the border. His goal has always been to get as many people across that border voting for Democrats as he can. And last, you know, in the last three years, he's, out, he's paroled over one and a half million people. Just basically said, it's okay to break the law. Welcome into our country. We're going to give you free food, health care. Uh, housing, all those types of things. So we really have not addressed that major issue of parole. I, I just don't know that it's going to. Uh, Joe Biden is, is acting like he wants to negotiate, but I don't really see it happening. Uh, I'm a long, long ways from getting comfortable with this bill yet. Well, it sounds like the Democrats, with the discussion right before the holidays and then even this one, it sounds like many of the Democrats were even mad at Chuck Schumer for even opening up conversation for negotiation for immigration. So it sounds like they have a lot of work to do to actually come to the table in a serious manner. Exactly. They do not want to solve this problem. That's so hard for, I think, most of your listeners to grasp. 
Joe Biden does not want to solve this problem. He thinks he's going to get more people uh, to move into uh, purple districts and that they're going to vote for him. They're going to register. They're not going to they're going to register people to vote that are not even legal residents uh, of the United States as well. So he thinks that he can control future elections. He's willing to go to bed every night with 300 Americans having died that day from fentanyl poisoning. Mm. These are not accidental deaths. These are fentanyl poisoning in order to build his party. I got news for him. Uh, there's going to come a reckoning in November. Yeah. Amen to that. You you mentioned fentanyl. Are we seeing anything better on the fentanyl front? I know Texas is trying to start uh, starting to take matters into their own hands and saying regardless of whatever the federal government's doing, because we have to address this now. But is fentanyl getting any better right now or is it just getting worse? Oh, it's, it's continuing to get, get worse now because uh, the cartel has positions established, uh, base stations established throughout the country, including in Kansas. Uh, I forget how many pounds were, uh, fentanyl were seized this uh, week alone. So, and, and I go back to these gotaways, 1.7 million gotaways under Joe Biden, people that, that our patrol saw going over the horizon that they couldn't go capture. What are those people doing? Well, they're smuggling in humans, they're smuggling in the fentanyl, uh, record numbers of people dying. It's now the number one killer for young adults in America is mm. fentanyl poisoning. Wow. It's it's very scary. Now, the fact that we're still having to deal with this, this is an invasion in the country, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's fentanyl and drugs, whether it's guns, whatever it may be, we're seeing this invasion come in. You guys have been working on an investigation on Alejandro Mayorkas about a potential ridding him of office because of not actually doing the job. Are we getting any further with that, or is he starting to maybe clean up his act because he's afraid to lose his job right now? (laughs) Well, the Democrats shut us down. We brought to the floor, forced them to vote on our resolution of no confidence in Mayorkas. We did it the night before. Our colleagues on the Republican side of the House were uh, starting their impeachment hearing. So we wanted to put some wind beneath themselves, try to get the Democrats on record. Uh, this is it's kind of a wonky policy issue, but it's called a unanimous consent. Yeah. And a lot of the business of the Senate is done. Only one person from the Democrats showed up to object. And that's all it takes is one person. But it just goes to show that they're not willing to show their face, uh, show their face to America, to their voters. So basically, they, they're saying that they have confidence in Andrew, Andrew uh, Secretary Mayorkas, and we all know that he's lost operational control of that border. Um, you know, yeah. 10 million people crossing that border illegally under his watch. Yeah. What, what's the next step here? Because, it, like you said, it sounds like they come in, they stop the investigation, they stop any type of committee hearings against him, they stop any type of conversation about a border policy bill. They're still thinking that they get to dominate the conversation and dictate what you uh, get to and get not to vote on on the Senate floor. So what's the next step to make this happen? Right. Well, I just want to remind your listeners that, that elections have consequences. We lost the majority in the Senate. If that wasn't the case, we could have been doing hearings and hold the administration accountable, much more so regarding this operational control. So we have to rely on this slim House majority right now to go through with their impeachment hearings. And impeachment can only uh, be initiated on the House side. So we're at their mercies over there, and they've got their hands full as well. But they are, I think, they're week number two or of their hearing is uh, their uh, their uh, their investigation of their impeachment hearing is this week as well over on the house side so god bless them and and hopefully uh, they'll get something done over there yeah maybe we can see some progress on that we're talking with u.s senator roger marshall from right here in the great state of kansas my home state and senator let's shift gears a little bit in the last couple minutes that we have 
with you is we have phase one of the continuing resolution ending at the end of this week. Phase number two ending beginning of February. We have a proposed $1.6, $1.7 trillion federal budget tentatively between Speaker of the House Mike Johnson and Chuck Schumer. I don't know if that's going to be the final bill right now, but a lot of conservatives on that side say they don't want this. What's the conversation look like in the Senate side regarding this bill right now? Well, look, you can always find 10 GOP senators that would do anything to keep the government open. (laughs) Uh, So you remember, you had the 60-vote rule over here, and there's 51 Democrats, so they got to find nine Republicans to vote yes. So they they control the agenda. Um, But here's here's what's the important thing to communicate to your listeners, though, Andy, is is Chuck Schumer wants an omnibus. He likes these deadlines. He's going to force us to do what's called a continuing resolution, so I, one way or another, I bet that we're going to keep the government open for another month. That, on the good news, is it's going to allow Mike Johnson another month to go through these appropriation bills. There's 12 of them, one at a time. Show them the light of day. But mark my word, Chuck Schumer's one and only goal is to keep making this fail and fail and fail until we finally throw up in our hands and let him do an omnibus. Yeah. That lets him bring all these, this funding together, uh, start from scratch, he and the swamp and the White House can then write exactly where that $1.7 trillion is going to be spent on their bridges to nowhere. So, so that's his goal. His goal is not to solve this problem. What, what Schumer wants is a, an omnibus where we throw all this together and he gets to decide where the money goes. Good golly. It's, they, they still just control the dialogue here. I mean, we have an opportunity. I know the House passed close to, I believe, nine of the appropriation bills that had some decent cuts in them. They did some savings. What needs to happen is the House be able to pass these this budget with the appropriation bills, hand it to the Senate, and say, Democrats, here you go, take it or leave it, and we're not going to get it. we're not going to extend. We're not going to do a continuing resolution. Either take it or leave it, and pass this, or let the government shut down, and that'll be on you. I don't know that the Republican Party as a whole is capable of doing that. So, I, I, so that's exactly what we would like to do, Andy. But I guarantee you, if we do that, the national media, outside of two or three cable stations, yep. is going to blame that on Republicans, and they are incredible at doing it. But regardless of who gets blamed, we're going to do the right thing. Uh, Speaker Johnson operation with that four or five seat majority. Uh, a lot of those those people on that on the, that's these purple districts. It's hard to get them on board with anything. He's got the toughest job in the world right now. He's a good man. He's trying to do the right thing. We're going to keep trying to do the right thing over here. But again, elections have consequences. The Democrats control the White House. They control the Senate. And we have to limit the majorities in the House. So yeah. everybody remember, November, this is how you reckon the situation. Amen to that. we got just about a minute left here, Senator. Outside of immigration, outside of the budget, outside of uh, some of these major policy issues, what's been the main focus for you going back in there? I know immigration, you've been out at the border quite a bit, and that's been kind of the main focal point to try and get this handled. But uh, what else is on your slate? Well, certainly it's the border, it's the border, it's the border. That's what I'm absolutely locked in on. Um, I'm trying to drive the cost of prescription drugs down by working to in this monopoly of pharmacy benefit managers. Uh, we have a farm bill to write and get it across the finish line as well. We've tripled the budget for food stamps, but we're cutting the farm farmers part of the farm bill, which is only about 10% of it to start with. So trying to reckon that, and thank goodness, though, it looks like our farmers in rural America supported President Trump last night uh, to, I don't know what it was, 80 90% of those folks supported president trump last night so he's listening yeah 
Yeah, amen to that. We got a lot of work to do. It's a very frustrating time. I can't imagine how you don't bang your head against the wall every single day up there in the congressional chambers because I don't know how you guys handle the Democrats uh, just sabotaging everything. But keep up the fight, my friend. We absolutely love it. It's U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the state of Kansas as uh, they continue up in the session for 2024. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Keep up the fight. Let's talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Andy. Happy New Year. That again was U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from here in the great state of Kansas. Always a great fighter, man. He calls it like it is, and it may not be the best news because I want him to say, yeah, we don't mind shutting down the federal government if that's what we have to do to try and get a budget under control, to get our immigration policy under control. We need to unite the Republican Party and shut things down if we have to. He didn't say that. He's like, yeah, elections have consequences. We need to get out the vote because we can do that the best we can. But the realism is the Democrats are still controlling the dialogue and there are not enough Republicans that are willing to stand up and fight that fight and willing to take it to the extreme to be that uh, that king of the hill, so to speak. And right now we're not seeing it. We'll see what we can do as we go into election season. That's why this election is so gosh darn important. Make sure to get out and vote. We'll talk more about that as it goes along. Lots more coming up. Got to take a break right around the corner here on Candace Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online at aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Glenda's back online with us here this week. Glenda, how are you today? I am doing well, Andy. How are you? We are great. Always great to chat with you. We are officially into the holiday mode, Christmas and New Year's, wrapping up of 2023 and going into the new year, which is really exciting. But of course, right now we're in the midst of the holiday season, which means obviously our attention's all over the place, Glenda, and that opens up opportunities for holiday frauds. With that being said, that's one of the things we can do this holiday season is talk about fraud and talk about it to our friends and our families and make that our topic. Because fraud impacts everyone at different ages. So that's something, a gift that you can give, and it's one that's free. Yeah, absolutely. It is good to have a conversation because sometimes, especially if you're taking care of other individuals, if they're starting to get older, or if you're like me and, and like you, or we're just all over the place all the time, it's hard to keep track. And uh, sometimes we can help spot fraud that someone else may be going through that they're not aware of. Absolutely. You know that last year, 40% of all the scams reported to the FTC were from people that were under the age of 40. Uh, and then those that really lost the most money were those that were 60 and over. So again, right there, it shows that, you know, we're all vulnerable to these criminals. And so we could all use a little bit of help and a little bit of guidance. And so there are a couple of things that, uh, fraud topics that we like to share with families that they can talk about this year. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about During some of those. holiday the, season. What are some yes. of the big ones this year so that you've one seen? Of the, a question that you can ask uh, is, what is a question, a story, or a phrase that no one other than those close to your family would know, right? Uh, scams targeting parents and grandparents are only becoming more believable with the adoption of AI. But no matter how realistic their voice might sound, they won't know what your private memory or your private password is for your family. So anyway, that is a very, that's one good thing. 
the other thing is to also know that uh, your passwords are critical, and that's a topic you can talk about. Always know that if you want to keep them um, in a safe place, and always be careful also not to choose the same one over and over. So kind of mix those up, make them more difficult, and that um, you know that that way they won't be as easily um, de- determined by by scammers. Yeah, it's a great point. I uh, and that's something I know I struggle with, and so many others as well, because uh, I know a lot of people that like to just create one password, maybe with a small variant at the end, and use that same one for every login for everything. And that's probably not the best idea, is it? It's not the best idea. So if you give your family just an idea of how you choose and protect your passwords, you know, again, that can save you money. And you know, lastly, if they just be willing to share. And if someone's been involved in a scam um, activity, don't be afraid to sca- to share that because even sharing that can help others. And just let everyone know uh, to be a fraud fighter. And if you can spot a scam, you can stop a scam. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still seeing a lot of scams right now with trying to get people to send money grams or, or money through that uh, uh, that type of process? That, yes. Yes, that is continuing also. It absolutely is. And so we're seeing those kinds of calls are still coming into our Fraud Watch network which people can always report those at uh, aarp.org slash fraudwatch network. Or they can either call our Fraudwatch helpline, which is 1-877-908-3360. And so those numbers, and at that website, we're still seeing those kinds of uh, scams being reported. Yeah, absolutely. Between that and then, of course, online, where maybe if you're trying to donate to a certain a nonprofit organization during the holiday season, or if you're trying to buy some of those last minute gifts, you've always talked about it, but making sure you go to the proper website that you seek it out and don't just click on some of the top ones that come up or even emails or text messages that come in talking about uh, all their great specials with uh, 99% off on these deals right before the yes. holidays, probably not the most legit thing. Not the most legit at all. So those are all great things for all of us to be aware and enjoy the holiday season. That's right. Uh, Glenda, it lasts uh, about a minute here, but talk about as well going into the new year of 2024. What can we expect and what exciting things are you guys working on with the AARP? Exactly. Thank you. We'll have more of our virtual uh, concerts coming up. We'll have our Fraud Watch Network uh, Fridays coming up and then just a lot of activities that we'll be able to share in and around the community and around the state. So we will certainly be getting those out first of the year. So thank you for asking. That again was the AARP, hour number two of Kansas Talk, right around the corner. Truth Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is Kansas Talk, hour number two of Kansas Talk right here. Wichita's big talker, KQAM. Good Saturday morning to you. 1480 on the AM dial, 99.7 HD4 on the FM dial. If you do have that smart radio, you can listen to us in high definition, and it makes us sound really smart (laughs) as well. Also, our friends out in Garden City at KIUL. So wonderful to have you with us this morning as well. What's up? Welcome into it. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK as we move through the morning here. A lot of things we're covering across the board. Legislative session still in gear. What's going on in Washington, D.C.? We have election season. We have farm bills. We have so much to cover. And it's been a blast to, to do so, so far with you this morning. Bottom of this hour, we have Claudia Hissong. She is with the Kansas Farm Bureau as she is one of the state affairs individuals. 
as we talk about the relationship with the federal government. We'll talk the Waters of the U.S. rule. We'll talk the Farm Bill of the Year. We'll talk about the state of agriculture right now and so much more. So looking forward to uh, chatting with Claudia coming up at the bottom of this hour in just a little bit. But as you know, we are in the middle of our legislative session here in Kansas. Week number two officially in the books. We have taxes, we have other social issues, we have a lot of things that we're addressing right now, kind of interesting, and I still just can't get over the changing of tone from Kansas Governor Laura Kelly, where she can't win on her agenda, so she has to steal our agenda and then try to make it her own, and that comes especially when it comes to taxes in the state. So we had to bring on the program, it's good to have him back on the show to talk about this and so much more, as last year... If you remember, they proposed this bill, and we were close. We were so close. We lost it by one vote, not to oust anybody, Dennis Pyle, just throwing that out there, but uh, ended up losing the veto override from the governor. While she wants to cut taxes, she doesn't want to do it in a Republican fashion. She wants to do it on her terms, which is kind of strange, but we had a plan for a single-payer tax rate, or also known as a flat tax in the state, and it would go down to anywhere between 5.15%, in the state, which would be comparable and competitive to surrounding states here across the Mid-America region. I think that's relatively good news, wouldn't it? Right? You would think so. Let's at least be somewhat competitive to surrounding states to where when businesses or individuals look at jobs or where to move their business to, that we would at least be in the realm of conversation. That's all we can do, right? We got to entice them. And could we do tax breaks and tax incentives? I guess. I'm not the biggest fan of tax incentives and tax breaks overall, but at the same time, I, I understand they're necessary in today's times. we got to give that sweet deal to that special company to make sure that they move their headquarters to our state. That's kind of the realm of world that we live in. Not to the degree of what like uh, they did in the state of Florida with Disney, and now we're trying to pull those back and rein those in just a little bit, not because of their stance on social issues, just because they shouldn't have those in the first place. But I digress. As we talk about ways to incentivize business here to lower taxes for consumers and for businesses and the way to make our state flourish, even though that we're doing a relatively decent job of that right now, happy to bring on here. Uh, we have to bring him on every session and talk about what's going on in the state. He's the president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. Excited to have back on here for the 2024 session, Mr. Alan Cobb. Alan, good morning. How are you, my friend? Very good. How are you doing, Andy? Happy New Year to you. Yeah, always doing great. So good to chat with you again. And you guys, again, the popular ones in the legislatures, we talk about taxes. Governor Kelly kind of shifting her tone just a little bit on spending and tax revenue in the state of Kansas, wanting to do some more spending as uh, right now, it looks like that we may actually see the bill that you guys proposed last year with the single payer tax rate or flat tax in the state at uh, just over 5%. And it seems to be uh, kind of a popular thing nationwide. It'd be good for Kansas to get on board with this. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. It's It helps keep us competitive. Um, and certainly it, it sets up a stage to, to lower it in the future, even as revenues come in. And so there's states all over the country, red, blue, purple states that either already have a single rate or are moving towards it, including two of our neighbors, Iowa and and Nebraska are moving it, moving there. And then uh, Colorado has had a single rate for quite some time. And they're they're around, gosh, I think four point four percent. Wow. It's good news the fact that other states are doing this. Do we know what that would do change-wise? I know it changes every single month, but do we know what it would do to the revenue in the state for tax receipts? Would we see more tax receipts come in or less? I know in the long term, if we see more business coming in, obviously we're going to see things bump up. But for the immediate turnaround, what would that do for the overall tax revenue in the state? 
apologies of dogs in the background, so I don't know if you're there that, but uh, it would it would reduce revenue, and most taxes cuts do reduce revenue. But the only one that you might see increased revenue is capital gains tax. But it's uh, the the physical note on it is what they call it over three years is about nine hundred million, three hundred million a year, and the governor's proposals are a billion. So I know she and others have said. Oh, we don't want to go down the brownback single rate, blah, 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 that it's fiscally irresponsible, but yet her proposal are, are, are a billion. Now, what happens a lot, Andy, is if, if you reduce, I don't know, let's say taxes by 10%, sometimes it reduces revenue only by 5, 6, 7%. So there is a dynamic aspect to it and to, to tax cuts or tax increases. Uh, frequently, if you say increase sales tax, by 10%, you might only get 6% revenue increase because people do pay attention and it does a, a impact behavior. But it, it is just, you know, we, we have, gosh, I don't know, $3 billion in excess revenue. So the dollars are there. Yeah. And yes, you want to be responsible. Don't want to put the state in a, in a tough spot in the next couple of years if there is a recession. However, this is certainly, uh, there'll still be, still be money in, in the reserves if this gets passed. And one of the governor's proposals that we have supported in the past is is eliminating tax on Social Security benefits. And I, I think that's good public policy and a lot of states have have yeah. done that. So uh, hopefully uh, if we can't get the single rate, we can do a few of those other things. But just overall, reducing rates is better than piecemealing little things here and there of reducing uh, or providing an exemption or a credit, et cetera. And yes, the chamber, we do support tax credits and supported the aviation tax credit, which is good for, for the Wichita area, frankly, the whole state. But it's overall better just to lower rates for, for everyone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, like you said, we have to stay competitive. And if other states are going to the single rate tax uh, plan, which is good news because, again, it simplifies the tax code. It makes people happier. They can see exactly what rate that they're going to be t- uh, paying and actually you know, appropriate things the way that they need to at their own personal or business levels. We stay competitive on that front. And even if when we do take that hit until things continue to grow, like you said, I mean, we're sitting at, what do you say, a three to four uh, million dollar uh, safety net right now. Billion. So uh, a, billion a billion safety net. Yeah. So uh, we wanted a $1 billion safety net at the end of the Brownback administration, which is what we kind of had, we've grown that. The government doesn't need that much money just sitting there not doing anything. Uh, correct. And it's uh, a lot of it's because the federal spent uh, stimulus, the, the state's economy, the U.S. economy have been doing fairly well, did not see, uh, except for the very beginning of COVID, didn't really see a downturn. And when economy is going well, well, people are making money, businesses are making money, and therefore they're they're paying more in, in taxes and more economic activity. So that's all all a good thing. And it's uh, Kansans, frankly, are are not. I can't say they're suffering, but they're not seeing the benefit of the, all of that economic activity the way they should be and could be, just with a single. Uh, a single rate tax, and the Republicans have super majorities, of course, in the House and the Senate, and the governor has the veto pen. So the question is, I think the governor, she might change her mind. I don't think so. Maybe she would agree to something higher than 5.15, 5.25, but she's kind of backed herself a little bit into a rhetorical corner. And so the question is, can you get the veto override votes uh, really in the Senate? And the votes were there last year, depended on the vote, yet some people changing their mind to yes, some people changing their mind to no, some people changing their mind from yes to present. And a lot of that is just personal petty politics. I don't think it's based on 
on policy, but I think there is a chance for an override, but in the Senate, but it will be, it'll be difficult. Yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you is we had the the pettiness going on last year and we missed the vote that you guys had. We missed it by one singular vote, not to oust anybody, but you know, it's with the name of Dennis Pyle. I mean, we're just going to throw that out there that, uh, that we, uh, that we weren't able to make this happen. Do you think from what you've seen so far early on here with the conversations and the relationships that some have had, is that pettiness over and can we actually get this done? Do you think? I don't think it's over, unfortunately. Um, I think it was the, the folks who who were a little squirrely. Rob Olson from Olathe changed from yes to no. Uh, Dennis Pyle, just very squirrely. Uh, Alicia Straub from the, the Great Bend, Central Kansas area, she went from yes to present. Mm. And I feel like I'm missing somebody. But Carolyn uh, McGinn, I think, too, huh? Carol McGinn went from no to yes. I think okay. she's fairly solid yes, and that's that's a good thing. Represents a lot of the Wichita area, so I think we're really really close. But I don't I don't know if all those things have been. I hate to use the word solved, but I still think there's a there's a chance. Sure, that is uh, well. We'll see what happens this year. We're talking with Alan Cobb, president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. We got a few minutes left with you here, and I appreciate your time very much. Let's shift gears away from some of the policy right now to just the state of affairs right now. Obviously, focusing on growing business in the state of Kansas, being competitive in the surrounding areas and with our neighboring states right now. I, I know that we're still a few years out from that, but after the COVID pandemic. Are we seeing business start to come back? Are you seeing businesses feel a little bit more secure and a little more stable after the pandemic and uh, actually opening up doors and flourishing again? Yeah, we can't just have some of the nation's highest GDP growth in the third quarter of last year. And now, granted, that's just three months, and three months is an arbitrary timeline. I, I never get too too down or pessimistic if Kansas was 50th over a third quarter because you do have to look over the – the long run, and the long run is really more more than a year. But the U.S. economy, the Kansas economy generally tracks the U.S. economy, sometimes better, uh, sometimes worse. Unfortunately, you usually lag behind just a little bit. And uh, But, no, I think things are, are going well. A lot of good things in the manufacturing space, the financial services space, ag is always important. Yeah. Oil and gas is a big part, and uh, the U.S. Is, it continues to be the leader in oil and gas and so you're seeing a little bit more exploration, and certainly you're not seeing pumps turned off, which is what happened, I guess, during COVID when there was a short time where the price of a barrel of uh, West Texas crude went down to zero. <laughs> so that was uh, so. No, I think things are are going going fairly well, and then there's uh, always the specter of recession, and then we still do have inflation as as a problem, and that uh, that the inflation goes up, goes down, and it makes it hard for for businesses to to plan, and so that that's certainly been a challenge. Yeah, that has been a challenge. Have you seen any of the new industries coming in? Obviously, we're seeing the building of the uh, the uh, electric vehicle battery plant coming in. We have uh, talks about like hydrogen vehicle stuff coming into the area in the state of Kansas as a whole, and of course, aviation that's growing and expanding, working with SpaceX on some of that stuff. So it seems like we're also seeing kind of new industries dip their toes into the Kansas market. Can always uh, a big part of the Kansas economy, and again, that's not just Wichita. And you see see growth across across the state in aviation, and, and I'm very happy to see the Wichita area in particular. Part of the pun, exploring space manufacturing, and so that's good. You do have some some food manufacturing, food processors that have moved in. There's uh, 
in Dodge City, a, a large cheese plant which processes milk. Southwest Kansas has become a, a major milk producing area for the country. And a lot, well, this tells you the, the, the impact of regulations. A lot of the dairies and the cows have been moving from California over the last decade because of their kind of silly environmental regs. Uh, you know, people want to drink milk. They just don't want to have cows that poop, apparently. Um, so maybe KSA can work on a on some research on a, on a dairy cow that, that doesn't poop. I think that's a long time coming, but uh, you, you do see some new things, but it's but it's based on kind of the, the core things that we have on different kinds of manufacturing. Uh, cybersecurity, actually, there are firms in Kansas across the state that are growing, yeah. and that is a good thing. That's certainly a, a major, major part of, of the U.S. economy. And I'd just say overall tech, computer science. So there's, there's a lot of good things to look at across the state. That is good news. That is really good news. Last question for you, Alan Cobb, Kansas, uh, Kansas Chamber of Commerce. You can go and check those guys out with everything they're working on, especially right now with the legislative session. But outside of just the taxes to make us more competitive in Kansas, what about regulations? Are we working on this year? Or is that a priority or focus to try and deregulate some of the industries to make it easier for small businesses to actually be able to operate in the state as well? Yeah, there's a couple things we're working on. One, we already have uh, a, a economic impact requirement for certain regs. So we're going to strengthen that. And it puts a little bit of a spotlight on uh, a regulation. Well, it's going to cost X. And do we really want to do this? Also, there, the, there's a process to have rules and regs approved. We're giving, we're going to, we're working on the ability to give the legislature more oversight uh, to that so that they can kind of step in and say, no, 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 agency, I, we, we can't do that kind of regulation. And then we're working on something called a, a regulatory sandbox that will give agencies the ability to suspend regulations in certain instances. The, the great uh, Utah has done this. And a great example of Utah is the way their regulations were worded. If you had a hot tub, let's say at a spa or a gym or a country club, you technically had to have a lifeguard just because of the way bodies of water were were, were mentioned. And they didn't want to take the time to go repeal the regs, so they allowed the agency to say, no, 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 you do not have to have a lifeguard at when you, if you just have a hot, hot tub. So there's things like that that generally have bipartisan support. I guess it kind of reminds me, you know, one of the loneliest people in the, in the uh, World Olympics is the lifeguard during the swimming competitions. But they actually have lifeguards <laughs> yeah. in the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm glad. It's those small little things. That's just an annoyance to businesses. It's that extra expense, that extra type of licensing they have to get that just makes it difficult for them to operate. So if we can work on some of those, that would be so nice. I'd love to see some of those go through this year. Yeah, I think we'll we'll have some success. And again, it's bipartisan. I mean, there's a lot of good things that get passed that are not necessarily uh, just slim majorities. And a lot of things get passed with a lot of Democrat and, and Republican votes. So um, fairly optimistic about all those. That would be nice. It's Alan Cobb, Kansas uh, Chamber of Commerce. Go and check him out. Always love to have you on the program during the session. Keep up the fight, my friend. We'd love to chat again real soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. Take care. There he goes. That's Kansas Chamber of Commerce President, Mr. Alan Cobb. Always great to chat with him. Great information. Great breakdown of what's going on at the statewide level. Incentivizing business, incentivizing individuals, getting us back on track here in the state. I know that we had that third and fourth quarter do relatively well in the state last year, but we can always do better, and let's lock it in for sure. And if we're going to be seeing all this money coming in, Let's give it back to the people. Let's not have the government just hold on to it. A $4 billion safety net reserve fund for the state is a little excessive. Lots more coming up right around the corner. It's Candid Talk, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here.
back into it. It is Kansas Talk right here at Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Thanks again to Alan Cobb, president of the Kansas Chamber of Commerce. Great guy. Love chatting with him. We've had him on the program for years during the legislative session. Always great information as we talk about taxes. And again, they're the ones last year, if you remember, they proposed the single rare tax rate. And, and again, we had conversations with some individuals on social media, and they're like, well, that's that's not really fair because low-income people then have to pay the same amount. And we respond by, no, no, they don't. No, they actually don't because anybody under $15,000 wouldn't have to pay any taxes. Now, personally, I disagree with that concept. Even if it's a minuscule amount and it's not a whole lot, I still think everybody should be contributing at least something because when you get off scot-free, then you don't feel like you're, uh, you feel like you're kind of taking advantage of the system, right? If you're not paying into it, then do you really appreciate it? When you don't purchase your first car with your own hard-earned money in high school by working and your parents do it for you, do you really take care of the car as good as you probably should? You don't have skin in the game. You don't have the money invested into it to actually be part of society to appreciate it. So I think everybody, even if it's a dollar, should be contributing something. So even I, as a conservative, disagree a little bit with that. But having a single rate plan is way better than what we're doing right now because anybody under $15,000 doesn't pay a thing. Anybody over $15,000 and a penny pays at that 5%, 5.15, 5.25, whatever it's going to be. And everybody's fair. The other side, they don't quite grasp that concept. They're like, well, everybody's going to have to pay the same. No, they pay the same rate. If you make $100, or if you make, uh, let's say, $20,000 to go over that threshold, compared to $200,000, you're paying the same rate. The person with $200,000, shocker here, is actually going to pay more money. I know that's a hard concept to grasp, but they're going to pay more money in total. And when you explain that to them, they get either really angry and just put on the blinders and say, no, no, they have to pay even more than that because that's not fair. They only have to pay that much. Or they just shut up because the light bulb comes on. They're like, oh, yeah, we're talking about two separate things here. (laughs) And sometimes, uh, look, if they're open to that, if they're open to at least hearing and understanding, then that makes me feel better because that's what we want is the conversation. Sometimes they don't even want the conversation. What do we do? When we come back, we'll shift gears a little bit. We will talk about some agriculture. We'll talk with the Kansas Farm Bureau as we talk about the Farm Bill, our relationship with the federal government, the state of affair with the waters of the U.S. rule. Will that be going away? The state of the egg industry right now going into the winter season and so much more. It's Candace Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Good Saturday morning. Stay here. Wichita's number one in talk radio. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Yes, it is. Welcome back into it. It is Kansas Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. So wonderful to have you with us here on a Saturday morning. So much ground that we've covered throughout the program today. The state legislative session, a lot of things happening right now. And we focused primarily so far on budgetary issues, tax issues. Why? Because I'm kind of a dork that way. But there's a lot of other things going on as well. When it comes to the session, especially when it comes to agriculture. Now, we've talked with a few different state reps, including Joe Seiwert, District 101, just on the western portion, just outside of the Wichita area, talking about ag. And there's some great conversation there. And I always say this all the time. If you're a farmer, I don't know how you do it. I just got to be honest. I don't know how you survive. I don't know how you do it day in and day out. When you live in an industry where every single aspect of your entire livelihood is out of your control. And I mean everything. Like, 
you the, the gas that you put in the the diesel that you put in your tractor and in your truck and the parts for your tractor itself and getting the tractor and the seeds and in the weather whether it's too dry or whether it's too wet or the price of the seeds and then the growing and the commodity price when you sell it at the end of the day on whether it's actually worth it or not it is wild that you continue to survive and that that would give me high anxiety which i know there's a lot of a big push right now for mental health focus on the agricultural industry and god bless you if you continue to uh, struggle and if you need to talk you can call up on the show here i am your political therapist but you can also get some real help as well to just be able to process a lot of these shenanigans going on in your industry nonetheless in the legislative session this year there's also a lot of focus on agricultural issues including water conservation and pesticides and the growing expansion of different types of industries within egg with dairy and with other issues as well so we had to talk about that we sat down just a day or so ago with claudia hissong she is the state affairs director for the kansas farm bureau where she focuses more on some of that statewide policy and what the legislature is working on for farmers across the state of Kansas. She sat down with us right here on Candace Talk, and this is what she had to say. Claudia, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on very much. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, obviously, but let's real quickly, let's just recap really the last year or so in agriculture with, with farmers across Kansas, because I know that with droughts, it hasn't been very good lately. I know that the wheat plants have not, uh, the wheat crop, didn't fare uh, too well the last year or so with uh, some of the drought. Hopefully that'll change with some of the snow that we've been getting. But uh, are we hanging in there right now? Are farmers still surviving across the state? Yeah, you are exactly right. Uh, we've been hearing from members across states that drought hit them hard. So hopefully the moisture that they're getting in the form of snow um, will be appreciated in the coming months. Um, but uh, farmers are a resilient group, um, and we have seen that over and over again. So they're hanging on, but you nail on the head. They uh, the show has not been kind to them. Yeah, it really hasn't. Let's talk about some of the conversation in Topeka because uh, I hope at least we're addressing some major issues here in the state. One of them that continues to pop up is water conservation. We're using so much water in the state. We heard all the way back, I remember, during former Governor Sam Brownback's era about water conservation, trying to d- discuss issues with the Ogallala Aquifer on the western part of the state. Uh, here in Wichita, where I'm based out of with some of the reservoirs around this area, we're seeing that decrease in some of the water levels What's the conversation this year? What have you heard and what can we start addressing when it comes to water conservation in the state? Yes, the water has continued um, and will continue to be a major topic within the state house. We heard the governor mention it during her state of the state address. And uh, we've got a lot of legislators that are wanting to do something related to water. Last year was a monumental year with getting some additional water funding, focusing on infrastructure and conservation efforts. So we're hearing updates um, even early in the session from the water office of um, programming and uh, funds that they how they've uh, used those funds to get some on the ground conservation work. So we are anxious to hear that. Uh, we know it's still early, so we're still seeing some of those funds being developed and those programs being implemented. Um, but we so we are encouraging farmers and rancher members to sign up for some cost share conservation programs. Um, so continuing that funding is a key priority for Kansas Farm Bureau. Also, our policies support um, Kansas water law, and we really look to our members in those local um, groundwater management districts to find local solutions um, for water conservation. We know they're the ones that make the decisions day in, day out, and um, it impacts their bottom line. So we trust those local decisions, and we would like to keep the decisions there for our local farmer and rancher members that are impacted. 
Yeah, amen to that. What is uh, right now when it comes to conservation programs and and some of the funding you guys are working on? What is the main objective? Is it trying to just lessen the amount of water that we use to allow the aquifers and the and the reservoirs to start replenishing themselves? Is it maybe because we have too many wells in certain areas that are just sucking it dry too quickly and not allowing it to replenish that way? I mean, what's what's the biggest obstacle that we have to address right now on this issue? I think what. Um, our members are really focusing on balancing how to be economical and how to be sustainable with the water they are, they are using. So are there soil moisture probes? Are there different practices that they can implement on the farm to use less water but still see um, an economic advantage and still be productive? Okay. Very good. Uh, outside of water issues, I know that's really the main priority one here. Are we seeing water levels slowly begin to increase? Have we seen anything since the recent snows and, and kind of this winter weather? Hopefully, like we said, I mean, we've seen some more snow here than at least in the eight, nine years that I've been in Kansas, that uh, this is the most snow that I've seen. So that's at least good news there. But are we tr- uh, projected, do you think, this year to start seeing a little bit more moisture come into the area? It's probably a little bit too early to tell. Um, hopefully we're hopeful that we'll see those um, water levels rise, and especially those that are, um, you know, getting that soil uh, wet from these snows. We hope we see some efforts there and some um, benefits from these moisture that we have been getting. Um, but I think it's really too early to tell them what those aquifer um, levels are going to look like. Gotcha. Very good. We're talking with Claudia Hissong with the Kansas Farm Bureau. You can check them out at Kansas Farm Bureau uh, online. Let's talk about some of the other policy as well. What are some of the other priorities that right now this year you guys are focusing on for the ag industry? We had talked to a couple of the state reps, uh, one of them being Joe Seiwert from District 101, just outside of the Wichita area, where he's talked about some of the pesticide spraying as well with pesticides that maybe go from uh, that go through the air and go from one field over to another field when they aren't necessarily supposed to and contaminating other crops. Is that uh, on the docket this year to, to have a conversation about or what other priorities right now are we focusing on? Yeah, so regarding pesticide, um, the KDA is going to be bringing a pesticide um, bill relating to the Pesticide Act. Um, and these are it's coming from the EPA. It's putting some pressure on the state to um, update some statutes, things like that. So we're going to be involved in those conversations. Um, the bill was just introduced, so uh, waiting for a hearing on that. But um, our effort in that is we're threading the needle to keep state primacy um, and giving up some to the EPA, but ultimately we want to keep state primacy in that conversation. Some other efforts, um, tax is going to be huge for this legislative session. Um, or the Senate has already passed out um, a, a tax package. So Camp Farm Bureau is really just monitoring and making sure that there are no changes to use value appraisal and whatever um, ideas and property tax uh, relief that um, is being discussed is sustainable and um, keeps agriculture in mind. We ultimately are also pushing to keep agriculture viewed as a business, as it is, and keep those sales tax exemptions um, for the business entity that agriculture is. Very good. I love it. Uh, we to, Going back to water for just a moment, I, I just thought about the waters of the U.S. rule at the federal level. I know you don't really address a lot of that issues, but there's potential that that could be reversed. It, would that affect any of the water policy here in the state of Kansas? I know many farmers aren't too fa- uh, big fans of the waters of the U.S. rule, allowing them to control some of the waters on their lands. But would that kind of help alleviate some of these issues? Um, I'm not sure how much WOTUS will impact um, state legislation, but you, you're exactly right. Um, the Kansas Farm Bureau and uh, American Farm Bureau has been active in fighting against WOTUS, so we will continue to be involved in those conversations. Um, that was a, uh, a success in that Supreme Court ruling, so continuing to put the pressure there, um, get a favorable ruling for agriculture. 
Sure. I love it. At the statewide level, I know we work on trade as well. Uh, our own state officials go out across the globe and, and work on different trade deals for the product specifically coming out of the state of Kansas. Is that situation working well? Are we seeing an increased trade and increased uh, demand for products from Kansas farmers uh, across the globe right now, do you think? We surely are. Um, Kansas has seen a huge success story in um, international trade market. Um, Kansas exports are um, very prominent in other agriculture markets, and uh, Kansas Farm Agriculture has done an excellent job on uh, developing those trade agreements, about finding those markets, and getting Kansas um, goods plugged in there. So that has been a huge success story, and I only expect that to continue into the future. Good stuff. I love it. It's the Kansas Farm Bureau as we talk about some of the priorities for the agricultural industry in 2024. I'm optimistic. we got just about a minute left here or so, Claudia. But uh, as we move forward in this year, I know that this is a growing concern, but the average age of the farmer in the state of Kansas continues to be worrisome. Are we seeing maybe some of the younger generation? I know that Kansas State, other programs around have some wonderful ag programs to get the young generation interested in agriculture. Are we seeing some interest of that young generation wanting to stay here in Kansas, wanting to keep the family farms going, and keep agriculture a major focal point for the state moving forward? Yeah, we are certainly um, excited and optimistic about the future of agriculture in Kansas. Uh, we are heading into our Young Farmers and Ranchers Conference um, the beginning of February in Manhattan. Um, so we've got a lot of great uh, um, attendees signed up to attend that, and that's always a great time for um, new young farmers and ranchers to come together, talk to their peers. Um, we get to hear from them as Kansas Farm Bureau of what's on their mind, um, issues that are impacting them, and how can we be helpful in them getting started and continuing in the agriculture industry. Um, but we are hopeful about the future of agriculture, and we know there's a lot of great people, young people, stepping up to the plate and wanting to carry on that tradition, that legacy here in the state of Kansas. That's exciting. Hopefully we can keep it going. It is a tough industry. Like you said, I don't know how they do it. When we have the commodity prices, we have gas, we have inflation, we have the price of seeds, we have the price of labor, we have the price of everything all out of their hands, and they continue to do it year in and year out. It is mind-boggling. Uh, are we seeing, and last question for you here, new industries coming in. I know a few years ago that was big news of dairy that was actually moving from the state of California into uh, Kansas here with different types of agriculture, with hog markets growing a little bit, the dairy industry growing. Uh, is that good news? And are we continuously seeing growth in those sectors of the ag industry here in Kansas as well? Yeah, so there has been a huge um, uh, development in other industries within agriculture, um, especially in the, in the state of Kansas, of new industries that are coming in, um, even now with dairy the Hillmar um, dairy plant coming in, that value-added um, food production is going to continue to drive up marketing and um, the agriculture industries that we see here within Kansas. Um, we also have the soybean crush facility and um, some other uh, value-added processing that will only add value to Kansas commodities that are grown here in the state. Um, Kansas farmers and ranchers are also um, very innovative and creative in ways that they can market their goods. So whether that's going direct to consumer or finding uh, local markets um, and needs for those goods locally. Um, they've kind of adjusted and have been, gotten creative to really find the niche market um, for what works for them and their family on their operations. There's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts in this one. I appreciate what you guys do as you continue to focus on this and trying to help out the ag industry as much as you possibly can with farmers all over the place. It is Claudia Hissong. She's the State Affairs Manager for the Kansas Farm Bureau. You can find them online as well. Claudia, thank you so much for coming on the program. Happy New Year to you. Let's get you back on and get another update from you real soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me.
There it is. That again was called a hiss song with the Kansas Farm Bureau. We appreciate her coming on the show very much. Interesting information with what they're working on at the statewide level. I, I am. I got to be honest. I'm not too terribly optimistic about how the water conservation conversations will be going. And there's a few different aspects for it, not because of the Kansas Farm Bureau, but because of just how the system in the state government is set up, to be honest. For example, the ones that are overseeing the water conservation or the water departments at the statewide level have ties to the industries of actually water well creation and building as well. So there's kind of a conflict in interest there. I don't know why we're allowed that. I don't know why we can't stop something like that. But the ones that we where we say, hey, we probably shouldn't be building more wells and drilling more wells to suck more water out because we're running low on water. They're the same ones that are making profits off of drilling more wells across the state as a business and as a career. So I am a little concerned about the the conflict and we go back to Governor Sam Brownback. Why do you think that he was hated so much? It wasn't just because of the tax, quote-unquote, Kansas experiment or Republican experiment or the Brownback experiment, whatever they tried to say. But there were some other issues there as well where he really tried to say, we have a dire issue with the Ogallala Aquifer, the largest aquifer in the entire nation. We're Nebraska and Kansas and eastern Colorado and New Mexico and Arizona and some of these areas, uh, Oklahoma, they all suck out of this this uh, this aquifer that's underground and it's being depleted. It's like 60% gone. It's ridiculous. It, and to me, I have, again, anxiety thinking about that water drying up and us never being able to use it again. We have to allow it to replenish itself. And in order to do that, we have to stop sucking so much out of it. Now, I get it. There's been a drought. We have to do what we have to do. At the same time, we can do it by not having so many wells pumping all at the same time. But we can share. We can distribute that just a little bit. And uh, that's just one conversation. I'm no expert in this industry by any means, but I think it's something that we have to start taking a serious look at if we're going to do anything to try and solve these problems. So we appreciate her time very much with the Kansas Farm Bureau. Big fan of them and what they're doing across the state. We will have Ryan Flickner on as well, talking about more of the federal issues on agriculture as well, as he's in D.C. right now. So we'll get an update from him soon. One more segment right around the corner. we got lots more to get to and talk about here on Candace Talk. Right here at Wichita's Big Talker KQAM on another wonderful Saturday morning. Lots more to get to. Stay here. back into it. It is Kansas Talk right here, Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Oh, how the time flies right on by, man. So much to talk about, so little time to get to it. We'll do it again next weekend, so don't miss out. We have some more updates from the legislative session, how what Governor Kelly is doing. Also, there's some interesting stories that have been floating out this week as well with jobless rates. That's interesting. The Republican Party platform in the state of Kansas, they've come out with their platform now. We don't have a whole lot of time to talk about it today, but we'll talk more about it next week. Get your thoughts on it as we just have a few minutes left here today. But uh, the Kansas Republican Party is working on their statewide platform. Now, as you know, I'm an alternate delegate in the state, so I get emails on all this. The state uh, Republican convention coming up here soon. But there's a move to drastically change what the Republican platform is, meaning the stance of what Republicans believe in in the state of Kansas. And okay. What are we going to stand for? And it's very much rooted into 
kind of a moral standard based on religious views. And I understand that. The vast majority of Republicans are Christian, obviously. I am Christian myself. We have religious views. We have personal beliefs there. However, they're they're using it to really stand, to make the stance on LGBTQ issues and gay marriage in the state, on abortion issues, and they're doing it through the lens of the religious view. And I have to say that I uh, will talk with some in the in the state party on the, the reasoning for this, but I have to say on the reasoning on why they're doing it, I have to strongly disagree with the purpose of this. I've said many times on the program, both on the national program, on the weekday show, and here on the local show, that there is a way that we argue for our faith and for our religious views through constitutional arguments, not using the religious argument for our political stance, because that doesn't bode well for us. We're supposed to be a limited government, small government, small regulation party. That's what we believe in. And with the Republican stance, obviously we we take a stance of we don't agree with certain issues. We don't agree with abortion, for example. Okay, I get it. I get it. But we can make that argument to stand for our faith and the way that we believe through our religious views, but not use the religious view for the actual argument. Because when you do that, you're not doing it, you're doing it kind of the wrong way. I've said many times before that the Constitution and conservative principles themselves uphold religious view and our Christian values through using the argument of the Constitution. But the other side, they don't see the argument for the religious view necessarily because they interpret the Bible, they interpret their religious views a different way, and they have the right to do so. But when you start using the religious aspect as the actual argument for the political platform, you go down a very slippery slope of allowing us to become then the big government authoritarian side from us because God said this, so therefore we're going to impose our will on the public as we say the government that the Democrats shouldn't be doing from us because we don't believe with the authoritarian mindset. So I don't necessarily like the fact that we're using the religious view as the platform, as opposed to using constitutional values in order to stand for our religious views, if that makes sense. We have to go from it the opposite direction. If we can stand for the right to life, we stand for the right to life because the Constitution says that we have the right to life, period, end of story. You have the right to life, liberty, and the private property. Yes, your body is private property, but once there's something else inside there, that itself is private property as well with the right to life. That supports the religious argument, but we do it through a constitutional value and through the idea of limited government. Because when we start imposing and saying, well, our religion says this, so therefore we have to create this moral structure for society because of our religious views, then we are becoming a bigger government party to try and regulate everybody's moral views based on what we view. And I don't agree with that. I don't believe that that's the way we have to argue. And I think that that's going to hurt us in the long run if that's the direction the state Republican Party is going to make. We're making the right stance on the issues, but for the wrong reasons, if that makes sense. That does it for us today. We're back at it again next week. And until then, everybody, have a great weekend. We're back at it on Saturday. We have the national program coming up in a little bit as well. And the voice reason on Monday again. Until then, everybody have a wonderful weekend. This is Kansas Talk on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll talk more about that issue and more coming up next week. Until then, we'll see you on the radio.